Now, I'd like to introduce Nancy B. She's from the Los Angeles Intergroup, and she is celebrating 45 years of abstinence. Nancy knew Roseanne well. Roseanne was her sponsor and friend. Working with Roseanne from virtually the beginning of OA, Nancy has given away 150 pounds and a lot of program. She speaks with members around the world, and she's always excited to share about her experiences with Roseanne. Here's Nancy to introduce Joe. My name is Nancy Beach, and I am a compulsive overeater. And it's with great joy that I introduce to this convention, Joe A. from Texas. Joe, it is rumored, could not stop overeating until he went to his first meeting in 1983, where he began his abstinence the very next day. His top weight was 325 pounds. Tonight, he comes to us a svelte 185. He has served our fellowship on the Board of Trustees from 1990 to 1997, serving three years as chair of our Board of Trustees. He started the amazing Sunday night meeting during for all, the old-timer speaks during the pandemic. It's a meeting where only wellness, not illness, is shared. Roseanne would be so excited. Joe is a professional architectural photographer and artist. In a few hours from now at the six o'clock Pacific hour, you will see pictures Joe took of our founder's home and of her treasured rose garden. That will be at the meeting called Beyond Your Wildest Dream, the webinar honoring Roseanne. So now let's leave the birthplace of OA in Los Angeles and we'll travel to Texas. And I give you my friend and your friend in recovery, Joe A. Thank you, Nancy. I appreciate that. My name is Joe and I'm a compulsive overeater. I came into the program in 1983 and I went to my first convention in 1985, which in Los Angeles at Disneyland. It was the 25th anniversary of Overeaters Anonymous. And one of the highlights of that was the moment that I saw Roseanne. She was standing outside a meeting room and she was dressed in white with a white sequin blouse. And I was amazed because this was the woman who started the program that had saved my life. I have, uh, my life had, was a mess before I came into this program. And it was, a, it started with Roseanne's, when I met Roseanne to start to become better and better and better. Uh, I again had the second time that I met Roseanne was in about 1990 something, 1989 or so at a convention in, in, in Houston where I lived. And I was lucky enough to have lunch for some strange reason. It ended up with me, Roseanne, and AG who helped start Overeaters Anonymous in Texas, but it was called Gluttons Anonymous. So I, I, this tape was made in 2000. It was for members only. And it was a interview with Roseanne talking about her story and how OA started. The, the video is not great because it's transferred from a uh, videotape, but the audio is pristine. And I think that you will enjoy it. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think that you, if you'll pay attention to, Bill Wilson never drank after he started Overeaters, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous. I think we have the perfect founder in Roseanne because as you will hear, the message that she gives us is no matter what happens, just keep coming back. No matter what happens, 
just keep coming back. So now I will give you Roseanne, I will share my screen and if everything works, uh, we, will, uh, we will see Roseanne. Hi, I'm Peggy Wright. In January 2000, Overeaters Anonymous will celebrate 40 years of life-changing support to the compulsive overeater. A small act by two women, helping one another in 1960, mushroomed into the worldwide network of OA. Poised at the brink of a new millennium, Overeaters Anonymous can look back with pride. More importantly, OA faces the future with anticipation and rededication. I'm here today with Roseanne S., co-founder of Overeaters Anonymous, to commemorate the 40th anniversary of OA, a 12-step organization that has helped so many compulsive overeaters restore their lives to health and happiness. Roseanne has agreed to share her recollections of its simple beginnings and giant strides. Roseanne, thanks very much for being with us today. Let's talk about the beginnings of Overeaters Anonymous. Were you slender or overweight as a little girl? Slender and tall was about five or six. And then I found food. Food was my best friend. It covered everything. Fright, loneliness, boredom, resentment, anger, anything at all. And uh, all that time, I was a little bit overweight all the way through grammar school, all the way through high school, until I hit 18. And then I decided I wanted to date. And so I gave up excess food, got down to 118, and I dated. After a while, I turned back to food again, gained a lot of weight. And then when I was 25, I decided to move from Chicago to Los Angeles, where my grandparents lived. And I was looking for a husband. And so... We've seemed to have lost audio. Joe? I'll back it up just a little bit. All right, thank you. And if you have the ability to put it on original sound, it will probably improve it a little. Uh, I'm not sure how to do that, but uh, let's see if this Willis, works. Boredom, resentment, anger, anything at all. And uh, all that time, I was a little bit overweight all the way through grammar school, all the way through high school, until I hit 18, and then I decided I wanted to date. And so I gave up excess food, got down to 118, and I dated. After a while, I turned back to food again, gained a lot of weight. And then when I was 25, I decided to move from Chicago to Los Angeles, where my grandparents lived. And I was looking for a husband. And so I decided to give up excess food again. And uh, I got down to 118. I met my wonderful Marvin. We've been married uh, a little over 43 years now. And I was, as I say, 118. He put, the night he proposed was in August. That's what I weighed. By the time we were married in December, I was already 129. All it took was the ring on my finger for me to start taking back the food. And then there was no stopping. As you know, I'm not an OA member. 
So Tommy, where did you get the idea to start this organization to help yourself and other overeaters? Well, the idea really came in two steps. In November, late November of 1958, I was uh, binging and watching TV, which was my usual activity. And uh, I was watching Paul Coates' Confidential File, which was then a nationally syndicated uh, television interview show. He was interviewing a man from a brand new organization called Gamblers Anonymous. And I'm a big world saver. And my husband had a friend who was a compulsive gambler. And so the next day I called the station, got the address, and Mar my husband Marv and I took his friend down to the old Mayflower Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, kind of a seedy area, I think. But we went. And you know, that was the most important night of my life, I think. I was transfixed by the meeting. The men were, they were all men, a sprinkling of wives. And uh, they were talking about lying and cheating and stealing. I thought I was the only one who did these things. I thought that the people who did those things were in jail and everyone else on the street was pure and honest. And here I was sneaky and lying and dishonest and uh, stealing food, taking it from the grocery stores, doing all that stuff. And um, I thought that I was the only one here. I'm hearing all these men saying these things. And I thought, I am not alone. It was truly remarkable. And so uh, I went home and for three weeks I stayed on my diet. And then of course I lost it all. And by the next year, just a year later, I was 161. How did you feel when you saw those numbers on the scale? Oh, I was horrified and I was, I was absolutely frantic. And I thought to myself, I have to do something about this. The only weight loss organization at the time was TOPS. So I looked in the phone book and they were not listed. I, I was so frightened. I knew that I needed help. So I said to Marvin, my husband, I'm going back to GA to see if I can start a group like theirs for people like me. And so I took myself back to GA and it was then two and a half years old. It was a year stronger. A lot of those men had not gambled since they had first come in. And I, I was just as entranced and transformed is the right word as I had been the year before. So after the meeting was over, I went up to their founder, Jim Willis, who has passed away many years ago. And uh, I said to him, and you, you just had to see this, Jim was maybe 6'3", six, 6'4", six, very tall, gray hair, very skinny. And here I am, 5'2", very fat. And so I looked up at him and I said, do you think that a group like this, a program like this, would work for people like me? And Jim had, was also an AA. So he understood cross-addiction. And he looked down at me. He had the, the most wonderful, gentle smile. He looked down at me and he said, I don't see why not. You want just a local group? What do you want? And I said, no, no, no. Now, I, I'll go into it in a moment, but I have already thought of a name for this organization. And I said, no. Someday, all the leaders anonymous will be uh, as big or bigger than AA, and it will be all around the world. Now, it's not, not as big as AA, but it is all around the world. And, and the vision that I had from the moment I had the idea, it has come to be. So how did you come up with the proposed name for the organization? Well, I just thought, uh, I thought there was a Fatties Anonymous, but I wasn't sure. And I said, I can't name it Fatties Anonymous because we're not going to be fat. And so um, I said, well, what, what is it that we are? We are compulsive overeaters. But I was uh, an advertising copywriter, so I knew that uh, Compulsive Readers Anonymous was just a big mouthful. 
And I said, how about Overeaters Anonymous? That sounds pretty good to me. So I, next day or whatever, I said to my husband, what do you think of Overeaters Anonymous? And he said, it sounds fine to me. And so that's the name, Overeaters Anonymous. Was it easy to find another Overeater to join me in this group? It was awful, just awful. I had only been in Los Angeles for Chicago, maybe five or six years, and I didn't have very many friends. But I was in a co-op nursery school. My oldest was then three and a half. The little one was still 20 months. And um, so I approached some of the women in Betty's nursery school. And I said the absolutely wrong thing. I said, I see you have the same problem I do. This did not go over very well. But my recollection is that I talked to about 20 people, 20 women. Nobody would join in this thing with me. And I really, I really didn't know what to do. And then one day, I was walking down the street. I had Julie in the stroller, my baby. And across the street was my neighbor, Joe, who was very big. Joe was over 200 pounds. She was wearing her baby in the stroller. And so I said hi, walked across the street, and we started walking down together. On the night before, my husband had belonged to the Beverly Hills YMCA. And he had said, why don't you go to the Y and see if you can start something through them. So I'm walking down the street with Joe. And she said, let's go to the park. And I said, I can't. I just can't. I'm in a big hurry. Cross the street to the front of my house. Well, what, what's your rush? And I said, I have to go to the Y. I have to see about starting this group. But I know you won't be interested. Well, what, what's going on? And I said, I'm, I just know you won't be interested. But I have to go. I'm in a hurry. And um, I'll see you another time because I know you're not interested. What are you not interested? What's the name of the organization? And I looked at her and said, Overeaters Anonymous. She looked at me and said, you know, I think I would be interested. And at that moment, Overeaters Anonymous was born. When did you hold the first OA meeting and how many people were there? Uh, January 19th, 1960, that was our first meeting. And I had told Joe that I knew a woman, the wife of a GA member, Bernice, who was also overweight. And I talked Bernice into coming. So at the first meeting, there were uh, Joe and Bernice and myself just the three of us. And um, at the third meeting, we had we, we met in Joe's husband's office. And uh, at the third meeting, Bernice turned to us. We had just started. Bernice turned to us and said, my doctor said thing is making us making me nervous. And she got like that. And I turned to Joe and said, Biden's making me nervous too. And Joe said, you know, I don't think I'm interested in this. And I was, I was just frantic. And I started to cry and I said, I can't do this without you. I, you have to help me. I can't do it alone. And Joe, years later, Joe told me that it was as if I'd thrown down the gauntlet and she picked up the challenge and stayed. Did you decide to just adapt AAs and GAs, 12 steps and 12 traditions for OA? Oh, no. No, no. I was 30 years old. I thought I had all the answers. I thought I knew everything. And so I said, I, I, I had this typewriter and typewriter table. I put AA, Jim, Jim had given me a copy of AA's steps because I hadn't yet been to a meeting. Uh, AA steps and GA steps. And I said to myself, I was, uh, my profession had been advertising copywriting. Since passed away, but I said, that Bill Wilson was just a stockbroker and I'm a professional writer. My arrogance. And so, Step three, came to step three, the one about surrender. And I said, I hit my fist on the typewriter table and said, I am not so weak.
that I have to turn my life and my will over to the care of any God, whether he exists or not. Made a big X through step three. Then I looked at it and said, I have only 11 steps. I wanted a 12 step program. And so I had to put something in and I'm, I'm a dietitian's daughter and I knew something about nutrition. And so I said, I'll put a step in about going to a doctor. Uh, before we start this program, we should go to a doctor and let him advise us regarding our own calorie allotments and wisest nutritional program. I didn't know that doctors didn't even know anything about nutrition in those days, but that's what I said. Then I went through the steps. I took God out everywhere I could. And I got to the end and I said, this is not too great not to have God anywhere. So I sort of sprinkled it back in judiciously. And then I combined a couple more steps. And in the place that it was on step 10, said, we shall set up a regular plan of eating pattern of eating for ourselves, and this we pray may, we may maintain for the rest of our lives. That later went into the body of some copy we wrote. Then uh, the AA's 12 step had something about spiritual awakening, and I said, that's not going to be in my 12 steps, and I just took it out and talked about helping other compulsive overeaters. Now, this is the Boy literature. Uh, it was a mimeographed sheet with my rewritten 12 steps and the serenity prayer at the bottom. I thought it was terrific. How many people attended? Very lonely. A lot of times, especially in the first few months, it was just Joe and me in those big leather chairs in her husband's office. Barbara came in. Barbara was uh, the friend of my husband's cousin. And my cousin had said to her, to see what Roseanne is doing. She's losing weight. Go, go wherever she is. Go. Barbara came in in April and she stayed for several years. And um, so that first, until until uh, we had a little publicity a little later on, two to ten people, mostly five, six, seven. Did you or Joe go to any more GA or AA meetings? Uh -huh. Well, Jim insisted that we go to AA. So I said to Joe in a very early time, I made her go to GA with me. She didn't even want to, but I made her go a couple of times. Then uh, Jim said, you must go to AA. And so I dragged her down. She said to me, I don't want to go where all those Elkies are. And I said, never mind, we're going to go. And she came with me to several AA meetings. And it was there that I began to learn about, the, really learn about the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. I had up until then totally ignored the 12 traditions. AA had such a, a wonderful effect. I went to AA meetings for 10 years. I'm not an alcoholic, but I went so that I could learn about the 12 steps and 12 traditions so I could learn more about their program. What made you decide to approach Paul Coates for an interview about OA? Well, Jim, Jim came to a few of our meetings that summer. He really was OA's first sponsor. And I talked to him also. I kept saying we need some publicity, and I had said it to Barbara and to Joe. That we weren't going to go unless we had publicity. And I remembered the uh, Paul Coach show. So I called them all summer, and they didn't want to do anything, and they had, had the, they had had their fill of overeating shows. That's what they told me. Then suddenly, one night in October, everybody's asleep. All my babies are asleep. And the phone rings, and I raced into the darkened living room, picked up the phone, and it was one of the writers from the Paul Coates show. And he said, Paul is taking a European trip. We're taking three shows in the event. We have a whole next Tuesday. Can you be there? <gasps> I was so excited. And I said, oh, yes, yes. Now, Barbara had, uh, Joe by that time had left LA. She'd gone, lost a lot of weight, but she left. 
Barbara had also lost a lot of weight and I'd gone from 161 to 110. So I looked great. The other people were all fat and I didn't want them there. They insisted on having all seven people. They said they were going to pan across the whole group. And I said, okay, okay, we're, we're there. How the phone? I was so excited. And they told me that the, the taping would be done November 1st, 1960. How did you handle anonymity for the taping? Well, by that time, I'd been to a few AA meetings and I heard anonymity, but I didn't quite understand it. However, I said to Barbara, compulsive overeating is a physical disease and weight loss shows. We, we have to get this organization off the ground. I, you and I are going on full face and I will never do it again. And I never have. What happened when that interview was over? Uh, well, we were walking out of the room and uh, one of the writers came up to thank us and we thought we had done so well. And he said, we'll let you know when it runs in the other cities. And I just looked at him, other cities? I thought this was a local show. And he said, oh, no, no, we run in five cities. We're going to run in Sacramento and San Francisco in California, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Tucson, Arizona, and uh, Tampa, Florida. <gasps> well, I was speechless. I didn't know what to do. But uh, we decided, they said it'll run in Los Angeles on Thanksgiving Eve. So we thought we had a few weeks to get ready. Did you talk to Jim Mills after the interview? Oh, yes. After the taping, but before the interview ran in Los Angeles. And I told him I was so excited. It had happened so fast. And it was the interview. And I heard this dead silence on the other end of the phone. And he said to me, took a breath and said, Roseanne, I want to talk to you about the 12 steps. They have to be changed back to AA steps, with, with the exception of alcoholic and change to compulsive reader, of course. I was so stubborn. I still didn't believe in God, and I refused. And he said, listen to me, Roseanne. All your life, you've had different diets. Those are powers outside of you. And you've had pills, and those are powers outside of you. And you've talked to other people, and those are powers outside of you. So if you will take the capital P off of power and make it a small p and say, I am more powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. And I thought about that. And I said, okay, willpower is a dieter's term. And with that word, Jim got me. He opened the door to spirituality for me. I didn't quite step over the threshold yet. It was to be two more years, but he did open the door. What were the results of the TV interview? Oh, innocence is bliss. I was so excited. I went into a little uh, post office in Beverly Hills and rented a small box. Post office box 3372 Beverly Hills, California. And incidentally, I had done that just before the taping because I knew that we were going to give out that address during the interview, and we did. When Paul asked us uh, how people could contact us, we gave him that address. So now the interview is over, and I had talked to Jim, and every day I treasured that box. Every day I went in, I looked at the box, and it was empty. Then one day, uh, I don't know, about a week or so later, um, I, I saw um, a, a, a piece of paper folded around something, and I said, oh, Somebody in the post office has seen our, our uh, registration and they want some information. So I remember taking the key, opening the box, putting out the paper, and the floor was flooded with, with envelopes. No one had notified us. The show had run in San, Sacramento and San Francisco. We had 50 letters. 50 letters. There's nobody but me and my typewriter in my little 10 by 10 dining room. And well, that was it. I was stunned. 
Well, how did you answer all of those letters and help people form new groups? Well, after the first three shows had run, uh, Barbara and I got together. As I said, Joe had already left OA. And we called everybody in the, in the Los Angeles area who'd sent in a phone number. And we invited them to our next meeting. And I had scurried around trying to find a place. We rented a room at the Beverly Hills YMCA. Uh, and on November 29th, 1960, we held our first meeting after the coach show. The week before, we'd had five people, five women, and that week we had 75 people. And Barbara and I sat up a table. We had that first mimeograph sheet that I referred to and the serenity prayer. And we told our stories. We told what had happened to us. I really looked great. I was a size six or eight. And as I said, I was uh, 30 years old or so. I was very young and very arrogant. And but but this, we told our stories, and the room was so quiet. They really listened to us. We handed out uh, the original one-page piece of literature and uh, the Serenity Prayer, but we still had no traditions. Tell me more about that first Los Angeles meeting. Well, we had a coffee break, and during the break, a woman came up to me. Her name was Lorraine, and she said, my husband and I have a printing business, and I'll be glad to, to print anything for you at cost because I'm going to be a member. And Lorraine was really sick to us because I was about to write another piece of literature. After that meeting, the night after that meeting, I wrote what turned out to be our first major four-page four piece of literature. That's this. And it told a little bit about OA and how it can help you, a little bit about our history. And it had, I had listened to Jim, so I'd rewritten the steps. These are what I call the transitional steps. And I also uh, did something with the 12 traditions. I didn't understand the word traditions. And GA called them, uh, I think, the 12, um, uh, the unity program. And so I called ours the 12 unifying rules. Uh, I didn't know that we didn't have any rules at the time, but that's what I called them. I took out the nutritional stuff because Jim had said, Put the physiological stuff in the body of the copy you're going to write. Keep the spiritual stuff in. And so I did. Uh, in place of that step three that I had removed, I said, we have gradually learned to place our complete faith and trust in this power. And all our steps were in the uh, present tense because we didn't have a past. What happened to you and your family after the telecast? No, the, the intensity, the confusion was unbelievable. Along with taking care of my family, my husband and babies, I had to set up an office to find a permanent way to have some kind of record keeping for all the mail that was coming in. And so I, in my little 10 foot by 10 foot dining room, I set up um, a typewriter, typewriter table, cardboard carton for files, for, for letters. I also had a dining table and my baby's feeding table and all of that. And I had been a secretary, so I knew how to set up an office. And I've been a writer, and I was still a writer. I've always been a writer. So I knew how to write the literature. And uh, I wrote a form letter to everyone. And at the bottom of that form letter, to everyone who had written in, at the bottom of that form letter were two boxes to check. One if you wanted to start a group, one if you wanted to join a group. Was your husband Marvin supportive of your efforts, and is he still encouraging? He has been wonderful. How this man could have, could have put up with all of this stuff, We'd only been married maybe six, seven, eight years, something like that. And he never said a word. In the early years of OA, some of the husbands, some of the women came in crying. Their husbands felt threatened, I think. And uh, they said, um, it's OA or me, make your choice. 
Marvin never has done that. All these years, he's never done that. He has been only supportive and encouraging. Did other groups form after the TV interviews? There were three groups in the San Fernando Valley, which is over the hill from Los Angeles, and then a group formed in um, uh, Northern California, and another one, I think, in um, uh, Tempe, Arizona. There was, a, or someone came in and said, "There's an Overeaters Anonymous group in Tempe, Arizona." We wrote to them, and they joined in with us. So, and there was one in Hollywood also, and I think one in Long Beach. So, those are the groups that started almost right after Paul Coates. I know that you've written a history of OA called Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. In the book, you described the night when OA became close to men. When and why did this happen? Oh, I remember that. Uh, we had, the letters that had been coming in had been both men and women. But there were, and I, I felt OA should be open to everybody, men and women. There, were, there was a little contingent, uh, including Barbara, that felt that we couldn't talk about our feelings. I don't know what we were talking about that was so intimate. But they couldn't talk about it in front of men. And so they formed, we formed a service board for the original Tuesday night group only. And on uh, June 14th, 1961, we had a meeting. And there was, it was heavy contention. But the majority voted to close our way to men. And that's the way it stood for quite a while. They also tried to, now that was to apply to the Tuesday night group only. But they all tried to coax the other groups into agreement. In July 1961, the first meeting directory was published, including information about the 16 existing meetings. Why did you decide to make this directory? I thought it was so important. Supposing that uh, uh, there were, someone wrote in and wanted information about OA, they needed information about how to go to a place. And I kept telling those people to keep that directory up to date, because what if the secretaries changed or the meeting place changed and a newcomer went and there was a darkened room? What a terrible thing that would be. So I have always felt that keeping the meeting directors up to date was absolutely vital. Did things go smoothly after the Paul Coates telecast, or were there some conflicts? Uh -huh. There have always been conflicts in OA, but this first one we called this the spiritual psychological conflict. And that came as a result of my becoming more spiritual myself. And the people who had come in uh, when I had taken Dada, and it was a very serious conflict. We had a lot of arguments about that all the time. I understand OA held its first business conference in 1962. Whose idea was this? That was my idea. I had grown up uh, in my family with my father. One of the functions of my father's job uh, was to set up conferences and conventions. So I'd grown up with that all around me. I was imbued with that. And we had the 16 groups. And I said, you know, uh, having heard my father all those years, we have to get together. We have to have a conference. And so I was um, going to set up a conference. Then someone said, let's have an open sharing after the conference. And that's the forerunner of the OA conventions. In the first conference bulletin you mailed to all 16 groups, you introduced the word abstinence. Why was this word so important to you? Well, in June, I think it was June, I had been to an AA meeting. And I'd heard the speakers talking about abstinence from alcohol. Prior to that, I'd always heard them say sobriety. This was my first time hearing them say that. I sat in the back of the room and said, there's a revelation. I said, that's what's wrong with all of us in OA. We are not abstaining from eating at any time. We're eating carrots and celery and locale between meals. We have to close our mouths from the end of one meal to the beginning of the next. So I took my new idea back to the group. And I said, the word comes from the Greek. It means to stay away from. Some thought it was an inspiration and the rest of them just laughed at me. 
but I didn't care. So when I sent the bulletin out to all the groups announcing the upcoming conference, I included on page three, the introduction of abstinence. And I talked about my visit to AA, and then I said, that concept is abstinence. And I told how it just meant three moderate, three moderate meals a day with nothing in between, but no cal beverages and so forth. And in other words, total abstinence from compulsive eating. That was the first introduction of that concept into OA. You said earlier that OA had closed its meetings to men in 1961. Yet according to you, there was a man from Texas at that first conference. Well, uh, July 15th is my birthday. And on July 15th, 1962, we were having a celebration at home. Phone rang. And I said, who's calling on a Sunday night? Picked up the phone and it's a guy from Texas with the Texas twang. And he said, my name is A.G. And he had started five groups called Glutton's Anonymous in, in Texas. And he'd been trying to find other like-minded groups. Contacted AA in New York and I'd left our, our information with them. And so he called me and he said, I'd like to come and I'd like to bring some delegates. And I said, oh, sure, of course. Now, by that time, the people who had opposed men were gone from OA. So I went back to the group and I said, I had to tell you what I did. And I said, he's flying his own plane in. Well, we were all housewives with little children. And so most of us were anyway. Everybody was so excited and so impressed. I said, he's a businessman. He's coming in in his own plane. Oh, everybody was so impressed, so excited. And so uh, he came. That was the introduction of men into OA. Did that conference go smoothly or were there differences in opinion? Oh, that conference did not go smoothly. There was still that enormous spiritual, psychological fight going on. AG was from the outside so that he hadn't been part of the arguments in Los Angeles. He was also a businessman. He ran his own business. He understood the set, corporate setups. He was also sent to us in the way that Lorraine had been when she came in with her printing press. And uh, we had a lot of fights, but I think AG was really quite responsible for smoothing over some of it. What were some of the results of that 1962 conference? Well, most important, we adapted the 12 steps and 12 traditions from AA, changing only alcoholic to compulsive overeater and alcohol to food. That was the most important. Uh, I was elected the first unpaid national secretary, and we decided to establish an office, which was still in my dining room, and a phone that was listed in the Los Angeles directory. And that's because I was, I was adamant. Tops had not been listed three years earlier. And I said, we have to have a listing so that people will know where to call. We also elected a seven-member board of trustees. How did you let all the members know what had happened at that conference? Well, this is the first conference bulletin. It's called Conference Reports, September 1962. It is the forerunner of what is now our magazine, the OA Lifeline. And in it, I told them what we had adopted. We also um, decided to print a booklet. I was to write a 16-page booklet which came out to be questions and answers about OA and the OA recovery program. And I told them everything that had happened at the conference. That's how we let them know. It was this bulletin. What have been the biggest problems facing OA since the beginning? Well, I did describe the spiritual psychological. But right after the conference, late in 1962, Irene B. came in. She had found an article in AA Today, which had been published by the Grapevine at their 25th anniversary. Uh, it was written by Father Dowling, who was a non-AA friend of AA's. He was an overweight person, and his doctor had asked, had advised him to 
cut out flour, butter, sugar, and salt. So Irene came into a group waving this book and said, I have the answer for everybody. We have to have an eating plan without flour and without sugar and low carbohydrate, very low carbohydrate. That started a fight that's been going on since then. We are still fighting. We have had 38 years of fights over food. We had, uh, go, in fact, we were so mad. I was so mad because it wasn't my idea. Now, I wouldn't admit that for maybe two decades. I wanted everything in OA to be my idea, but this was Irene's. We refused to print it, so she printed it under her husband's copyright, and we called it the gold sheet. Then we had the green sheet, the pink sheet, the gray sheet, uh, the blue sheet, dignity of choice, and there was Westminster, OA Plus, and how, when well, we still have how today, that how stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. The attitude of these groups is that these things are required. Uh, they called us the fat serenity groups, even though we were fat. And now they're calling us regular OA. And what we're striving for is unity because there are no requirements in OA. This is a suggested program of recovery. Despite these disagreements, why do you feel OA grew so rapidly in those early years? I think it was uh, a gift from God. The timing was absolutely right. There was, as I said, an OA group in Tempe, Arizona. There had been another one somewhere in the country going for 10 years. It was the timing that was right. I never saw anything take off so fast and so successfully. So I would say that the timing was right. Also, I lived in Los Angeles, a big city. The other ones were in very small towns. And I think that contributed to it. Besides Paul Post, have there been any other public figures helpful in spreading the word about LA? Oh, yes. Dear Abby and Ann Landers, in February of 1965, I was reading Dear Abby, and there was a letter about Overeaters Anonymous. Nobody, somebody had written in from OA, hadn't told me. And here's this letter about OA. I went to the post office box, and we still had P.O. Box 3372. I went in a few days later to pick up the mail, and there's a notice from the postmaster. And he took me into the back room and he said, oh, what are you trying to do with us? What are you selling? In the back room were sacks and sacks and sacks of mail. We received a total of 7,000 letters from that. I, I was just absolutely stunned at that point. So we, we had to set up something. Um, we got, well, we had, no, no, let me back up a little bit. There was one morning, I remember that, 2,500 letters stacked in the back of my kitchen. I couldn't get in, into the alcove to do the laundry. And I was taking my girls in every day to pick up the mail. And I remember Debbie, who was then maybe seven or eight, piping up and saying, Mommy, you look just like Santa Claus with that sack on your back. So how did you answer all of those letters? Well, uh, I was really getting very tired at that point. And a few months later, I resigned. Margaret came in to take my place. She'd been an executive secretary. I turned over the office to her. Then Hilda and Esther stepped in. Hilda's garage and sewing room, she was a seamstress, became OA's first literature warehouse. Esther would go in and pick up the mail. And I didn't mention that a couple of years earlier, I'd gone to Maxine, uh, one of our very original members, who is still in OA, and said, I need a treasurer. And Maxine took over the treasury for 13 or 14 years. So at that point when I resigned, we had Margaret, Hilda, Esther, and Maxine. We had the beginning of a real office but it was still in our homes. In 1966, you wrote an OA book called, I Put My Hand in Yours. What was the purpose of this book? Well, I was helping Margaret, even though I'd resigned. And I said to her one day, we are writing the same letter over and over and over and over. I've got to write a book. I have to write a book 
that will act as an older OA member for the new groups that are starting up. And I remember having this uh, mental picture image of almost like the Titanic, uh, with someone throwing a lifeline to, uh, to someone else, putting out a hand to help. And so I said, that's what I'm gonna call it. I put my hand in yours. And the opening paragraph says, I put my hand in yours and together we could do what we could never do alone. And in it were specifics about setting up a group, setting up chairs, anonymity, publicity, our AA friends. It even had a suggested meeting format. And that's what we sent out for years. Have you abstained from compulsive eating from your first meeting or have you relapsed? Well, I wish that I had, but I started out at 161 and got down to 110 and stayed there for a number of years. In 1965 or six, I started overeating again. By 1973, I weighed 185, which is my top weight. Then uh, I lost some weight again and held that for several years, although I never got back down to 110, but I lost some weight. In 1980, I started overeating again. And by 1986, I weighed 171. My current abstinence dates from November 1986. Uh, I'm maintaining a 55 to 60 pound weight loss. I have held it all those years and God willing will continue to hold it. And I weigh now uh, about 129 or so. And it, it's been wonderful. So I have uh, the years of abstinence from 1986 on. Why do you keep coming back? I have no place else to go. If I am alone again, I will eat again. I need the help and support of other compulsive overeaters, and that is why I keep coming back. What is your vision for OA in the future? Really very hopeful. Uh, right now we're at a turning point, and there are groups of people in OA who insist on having things their own way, and they want everyone else to follow along. They have forgotten that the 12 steps and 12 traditions are the foundation of our program, especially tradition one, which says our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. And with that unity, if we abide by it, we can be the fellowship that I dreamed of so many years ago, a real haven of hope for compulsive overeaters everywhere. <laughs> That was fabulous. What a blessing to have this video history. We are also lucky to have members of our fellowship with us today who knew Roseanne and had their own personal experiences with her. We're going to start with three. Uh, Joe, would you like to share five minutes about some of your memories with Roseanne? Again, my name is Joe and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm sorry we couldn't record this and show it, but there are some copyright issues that we have not straightened out with the World Service. And so that's the reason I didn't. I remember quite well, like I said, my first meeting with Roseanne and then a dinner at the World Service Conference in Houston where I had lunch with Roseanne and AG. And what, what I remember about Roseanne was her calmness and her peace and her serenity. And you know what that her intent always was to do only the best for Old Readers Anonymous. Uh, I uh, 
I was when I was on the board of trustees and I was chairman. I had a lot of interaction. We were actually writing. Uh, I think it was a time in which either uh, Beyond Your Wildest Dreams had come out or not come out and everything else. And I just remember her working hard to bring forward the message that, you know, you just keep coming back. And like I said, was I think that she was the perfect founder because she did go back out. She did relapse. And what came of that was she just keep came, kept coming back. As she told me, Joe, I was the heaviest in the program that I had ever been. And she said, sometimes I would just get a, she had a peacoat, a Navy peacoat that she would wear to meetings and sit in the back of the room and just uh, be very sad. But she just was in the rooms of Leaders Anonymous. That's what I remember most of all, is that she said, just keep coming back. And, you know, that's the message that I try to spread today, you know, is if we're in these rooms, no matter whether we're in relapse or we're in recovery, we still have a chance to get abstinent and stay in recovery if we are in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, so there are some points where in this video today, I was tearing up when I heard about certain things. And, you know, Dear Abby was very important. And Dear Abby came to one of our World Service Conventions and uh, she was a wonderful lady. And uh, I think she was very, very responsible for our organization growing and everything after the Paul Coach show. And, you know, I remember her saying, you know, having great words about uh, Overeaters Anonymous and how sh she saw that it helped so many people in the world. Uh, you know, one of the funny things was she said, Roseanne said was, after 40 years, we're still fighting over food. And, you know, I would say that after 60 years, we're still fighting over food and food plans. And, you know, it, it you know, one of the things that I, I stress to sponsees is that, you know, uh, what it is, is, you know, I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, no flour. And I've been doing that for 38 years and two months and, and no spinach simply because I don't like spinach. But anyway, uh, what it is, is that, you know, I have followed that plan because it works for me. It may not work for you, as Roseanne told me, but it will work. You have to find your own plan of eating. My memories of Roseanne are nothing but, but glorious. I mean, you know, she was, she was so peaceful and so calm and so loving and so caring that, you know, it was just amazing to me. And I keep trying to follow that today. I think she was, like I said, the perfect founder. Now I will turn it over to Nancy B. Thank you very much. And I'm glad I could show this. We did show it at the seven o'clock Sunday speaker meeting in, in Houston, which is a meeting where we, we have people mostly with 25 to 30 years of recovery up to 50. I think one had 56 years of recovery, Beverly from uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And if you're interested, go to www.oahouston.org. It's every Sunday at seven o'clock. Central Daylight Time, five o'clock Houston time. And uh, we, we have great speakers. And so, you know, it, it's, uh, we had 250 people at the meeting where we showed this, this videotape. It was the largest meeting we had ever had. So, and we had 12 people ask for desire chips. And I think that that is the power of Roseanne's message. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. Now let's hear some of Nancy's memories of Roseanne. Nancy, you want to turn your, your uh, you want to be, get unmuted, Nancy? We can't hear you. Nancy, I know you're there. 
I'll tell you what. See if I can find her. Otherwise, we've got Dave, and we'll come back to Nancy. Nancy, I don't see you. So Dave H., can you unmute? We have uh, another friend of Roseanne's from many years ago. He started, David started the first teen meeting. And David, uh, can you uh, share some of your memories with Roseanne? And then hopefully we'll be able to come back to Nancy B. Yeah, uh, I'm David, compulsive overeater. Uh, and uh, I, I met Roseanne the first time my mother stood before I came to OA. My mother started OA in 1973. She started going to meetings and we lived, I grew up in West Los Angeles, a few blocks from where Roseanne's, the famous house uh, with the dining room table is just a few blocks away where I, grew, where I grew up. The park, I used to go to the same park her daughters went to. So uh, when my mom started going to OA, she forced me to go to a few meetings I was 11, no, I was 12 years old at the time, and she would carpool with Roseanne to meetings. And, you know, I had no idea OA at that time, what was only 13 years old. Um, I had no idea. And uh, there were things that I heard Roseanne say that now after 40 whatever years in program still resonate with me. One of the things I remember is um, my mother telling Roseanne, oh my God, I've got 80 pounds to lose and I'm hardly losing any weight. And oh my God, it's never gonna happen. And, and just complaining. And Roseanne was so, her message to my mom, which to this day, I, I keep that message for me and for other people in a way is she, she told my mom, she says, you are there, you don't do OA to just lose weight. And, and it's not about a diet. It's about the way you're gonna live the rest of your life. And if you're losing weight, it doesn't matter how long, it's not gonna to happen tomorrow. There's no rush, there's, there's no getting there. This is the, you're on a path. And if you're on the path, you don't need to worry. You'll just keep losing weight. And my mother never got away. She never left away until the day she died. She would still keep coming, but she couldn't, my mother couldn't get it. And then I remember too, going to the grocery market and bumping into Roseanne with my mom. And Roseanne, you know, I had no idea because this was just a friend of my mom's. You know, I had no idea this is the founder of OA. And my mom would say, oh, I'm binging. I'm having so much trouble, you know. And Roseanne would say, Doris, call me. You you know, don't eat, just call me. If you need a sponsor, I'll sponsor you. She was just a regular OA member. And that's how I always remember OA. When I started coming to OA, and I didn't start the first team meeting, by the way. I came in 1976. There was already a team meeting, and that's when I started away. And that's because my mom told me about this team meeting in Beverly Hills. And uh, and um, I forgot where I was going with that. Anyway, when I started coming, and then uh, we started a second team meeting, and uh, and my mom said, you know, you should go Monday night. There's this big meeting, and that's where Roseanne would come and we also would carpool with her and I would get her pearls of wisdom. And I remember one of the things, you know, it was that um, it, it was about always getting to getting to a healthy body weight. And that's so important for me in my absence and, and doing service. I was fortunate enough. Uh, Roseanne also went to the same synagogue that we belong to. So I always, you know, and she would, I know what I want to say. She would just come to meetings and any of us in West LA, you know, no Roseanne of just 
just one of the members that would go to meetings. You know, I was fortunate because Roseanne had a very soft spot for me and a lot of love. And maybe that's just who she was as a person. And, and so I always, she always just encouraged me. Um, she, she really had this thing about history that that's why she did this interview. She wanted so badly to OA people to appreciate the history of OA. And uh, in 1990, I, I was on the board of trustees and she sort of um, spearheaded me to be her, to be uh, the trustee who got to negotiate her writing the book on the history of OA and giving away the archives. And her and Marvin- David, you have, David, you have one minute. Okay. Thank and you. so her and Marvin also knew me well. And, and, uh, and so I, I played a little part in, in being able to bridge between what OA World Service wanted and what Roseanne wanted. And we got able to get her to write the book and give the archives to OA. I was fortunate, you know, OA was at my wedding. Um, you know, always just like a friend. And I'm very, I feel so fortunate. I, you know, took those kind of things for granted years ago, but I really, um, and her always thing was when she dies, what's going to be her legacy. And I'm so glad that Roseanne would be very happy that so many people are appreciating the history of OA and uh, her. Anyway, thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much, David. That was great. And now Nancy B, we'd love to hear for you. From you. In 1984, Roseanne's co-sponsor, who was put in place after her sponsor Thelma died, had a large impact on her finding a spiritual life. Jean Jaffe Smith wrote a poem. Every morning, Roseanne woke up and read that poem. Then she said the first three steps. And then she said the passages from the big book of Alcohol Anonymous, called upon awakening. After that, she read from the For Today book written in 1982 for Overeaters Anonymous with a spiritual saying that you could read every day. Here is the beloved poem written by Jean. As I walk with God, I stop running. And I stop running, I can face myself. And as I face myself, I am facing God. This was written in preparation for the 20th birthday of Overeaters Anonymous. Roseanne was born in 1928. She died in 2014. Our memorial for her was held in Culver City, California on March 2nd, 2014, where I and eight other members spoke. David was one. She passed at 84 years old. Roseanne, Joe and Bernice, hold the first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous on January 19th, 1960 in Los Angeles County. <clears throat> Roseanne told me, OA was, hard not to cry. Roseanne was not, Overeaters Anonymous was not about, was about removing what stood between her and God. It was about getting rid of the anger, the fear, the resentment, so she could walk free in the sunlight someday. And she told me because she had gone out so much that she could teach me how not to have to ever do that. And she believed in the spirit of happy, joyous, and free. She was, became very spiritual. Her growth was slow, she said, but she simply 
had to constantly, she told me, seek God and climb the 12 steps. Here is the short form that she gave to me of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Number one, I can handle it. Number two, maybe God can. Three, I think I will let him. Four, who am I? Five, this is who I am. Six, I am ready to change. Seven, oh, help me to change. Eight, this is who I hurt. Nine, oops, I'm sorry. 10, how am I doing? 11, what else can I do? And 12, this program will work only if you work it. And at 6 p.m. tonight, Pacific time, just a few hours from tonight, in our webinar before the entertainment, I invite all of you to have the opportunity to see pictures of her home and of her cherished rose garden, to learn about her favorite meetings, to hear about her program, to even learn her favorite delicatessens, to learn a lot about her family and to know her a lot better. Roseanne asked me to never leave Overeaters Anonymous as she was passing. She asked me to always abstain no matter what and to fight for unity and for the traditions, no matter how unpopular and loud I had to get. She knew we were full of enthusiastic newcomers pouring in who always wanted to change so much. She asked, I always have the four concepts handy, so I will read them to you right now. This is what Alcoholics Anonymous, who gave us our program and our traditions and step, was founded upon. Nancy, you have one minute. Thank you. Honesty, is it true or is it false? Purity, is it right or is it wrong? Selfishness, is what I'm doing going to affect another fellow? And love, are your intentions ugly or are they beautiful? She believed that every rotten thing I ever did, whether it was going to jail, living with horrible men, all the rage and shame, the way I brought people home and scared my kids to death, that all of it, if I shared it openly and honestly at these meetings, that one day it would be turned around to help another human being. So for every one of us, you have never done anything to be ashamed of anymore. You've just done something you can help somebody with. I will close right now until six o'clock and I will share with you another one, her absolute most favorite prayer and say, happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, worship God. Painful moments, trust God. But every moment, thank God.